0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am Casey. I'm here with my extremely close relative, Hannah. And we are The Non-Existent Story, a storytelling, story listening, story guessing podcast, in which this week Hannah will present two stories, one of which exists, that is to say has been published and which she read, one of which does not yet exist, and it is my job, and by extension your job, to guess which is which um, welcome, Hannah, who today joins us from 1896. <laughs> in in hair only, I'm actually still
1: in 2016. <laughs> All right, but barely. but barely, uh, barely, only only by my fingernails, though. Right. <laughs> uh, summary one: On headphones in the quiet basement cubicle, Barry listened to himself get berated by strangers. This is part of his job. Every Friday, he listens to the most challenging call from the week before. The automated voice that says some calls are recorded for training purposes does not lie. Though Barry was not listening for training purposes, that was why management required him to listen. That was why Barry was supposed to listen. But Barry listened for other reasons. He listens intently to the stranger's scream, Just transfer me to the manager, you fat fuck. Barry has been noticing that inference more often, and hearing his own placating response, he understands why. It is how he pronounces words starting with the letter B. For instance, how he might better assist, that he doesn't believe that that is company policy, and, of course, the introduction. Hello, my name is Barry. How may I help you? The Alfred Hitchcock B. The recording ended. Barry rewinds again and hits play. Barry works odd shifts, so there is hardly any traffic out of Atlanta when he leaves work. Barry makes two stops on the way home, one for fish food, the other for a newspaper and 22 caliber ammunition. It is Friday, and his roommate Steve will be gone for the weekend. Barry met Steve four years ago at a Weight Watchers meeting. Steve had since become an aerobics instructor and lost 280 pounds. Barry was waiting for Steve to break the news that had been hiding in his voice for months. He was moving out. Barry understood why. His presence, albeit a distant one, as the two had very different schedules, reminded Steve of a life he'd worked desperately to escape. A life that no one would choose for himself, where you placate strangers who call you a fat fuck over the phone. Sure enough, the answering machine is blinking when Barry gets home. This is how the roommates communicated now in awkward answering machine messages. Listening to the recording, Barry feeds his fish. It is a pink betta fish, Barry named Pinker, after Virginia Woolf's family Cocker Spaniel. And, like Virginia, Barry pronounces it Pinka. Pinka fed... Barry loads his gun and decides his last meal will be checkers. Barry struggles to place his order at the drive-thru. He thinks, how embarrassing to ask for a burger or buffalo wings, and his voice cracks. (laughs) Barry realizes the cashier can hear him sobbing. He spits out a combo number and parks his car. A young girl brings him food. She nonchalantly hands him extra napkins, and asks, not unkindly, if she can get him anything else. She has braces that seem new, and lisps badly. Barry realizes it's the first real voice he's heard in years. My dramatic reading will be accompanied by the Happy Hallows' performance of Endless. And let me know if you can't hear it, please. Does it have lots of bees? I hope so. Can you hear it? Yes. The voice above the brightly lit drive-thru menu was hardly a voice at all. More static puffs than words. Ageless and sexless. Did humans still work here? Were they all machines now? Did it matter? Barry shook his head. He was tired of noticing these things. He looked at the menu. The combinations were familiar, of course. He'd been coming here for years, but tonight their names blurred. Just ask for a number four or number five, better than a burger, no mayo, or buffalo wings. He thought again of last week's call and shuddered in disgust at his own voice. Just a minute, he told the menu. Take your time, it grated back. It was hard to breathe, probably the absd. In its early stages, atherosclerosis were also called fatty streaks, presumably because they made your arteries look like marbled steak. Chris Farley had them. Newspapers all across the country had cited them as contributing factors in his overdose. Barry was self-diagnosed. Since Chris had died, he'd stopped watching SNL. Screw it, he'd just get both. He tried to order and his voice cracked. Could you say that again? Asked the menu. In number four and five, Barry gasped. There was a long silence. Maybe the mechanical voice belonged to a real person, and that real person could hear that Barry was losing it. Losing it right here, right now, in the checkers' drive-thru. And that
0: was the end of my first dramatic reading excellent i have questions and comments uh but that i will uh save to the till the end yes
1: and and perhaps i should have mentioned before i started reading for the very young listeners in our art audience there is
0: some profanity in both of these stories so uh, now I think that the, you've I think heard our young it. listeners will, will be fine um if not i can go through and uh, and beep them out which makes it sound so much cleaner <laughs>
1: Yes, you you froze there just for a second. Yes, I'm ready. Summary two. In the last... Oh, I'm starting over. Summary two. In the first draft of the last letter Richie would ever write, the New Yorker thought only of Vista. Since her disappearance, he'd been accused of being an observer, a user, a loner, a cleaner, and a failure and a fool, but never a participant. The drugs no longer worked. It was time to call it quits. Richie concluded his first draft with a set mind. Last night, cleaning bathroom stalls at the DeVoe, he'd found the corpse of an overdosed woman. She'd reminded him of Vista. Richie had alerted the club owner, who dumped the body and gave Richie several packets of heroin for his trouble. Richie understood the intent behind the generosity, but had trouble caring. Now, drugs flushed down the toilet. He settled into the bathtub's red, lapping water. In addition to participant, since Vista's disappearance, no one had accused Richie of being many things, which he nevertheless was. There's an echo. It's kind of I don't know if you can hear it.
0: Anyway, no, it sounds great on um, my end. So we'll see. We'll see how it sounds in the final version. But uh, it's at least kind of suitable with the mediated um, form of communication that we uh, sensed in the first story. So, yes, it's
1: it's It's totally appropriate. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'll start with my last sentence again. In addition to participants, since Vista's disappearance, no one had accused Richie of being many things, which he nevertheless was. For instance, amateur bowler, doodler, album collector, and estranged brother – As the reddening water cooled, the phone rang. His estranged sister was on the line. They had not spoken in years. She was in jail, won't say why, and demands that her silently bleeding brother pick her daughter up from school. In the second draft of the last letter Richie would ever write, he informs Vista that he now feels worse if that is possible. His 12-year-old niece, Sophia, is a gymnast that reads Emily Dickinson in Mandarin, was skipping sixth grade, and had significantly less interest in Richie than studying for tomorrow's exam. Richie downs a bottle of pills and hallucinates that drug dealers are calling him for money. Richie threatens to shoot them, but the caller is Sophia. Her mother is not yet home. Groggily, Richie agrees to come over. But first he calls his dealer to ask why the pills don't put him to sleep and is told he has taken a bottle of menopause medication. (laughs) Richie soon realizes that his sister's apartment is being stalked by a strange blonde woman. However, unwilling to take Sophia to the future crime scene of his apartment, the two wait in subways, 24-hour bowling alleys, and nightclub lounges until his sister's 4 a.m. arraignment. Over these hours... Richie discovers that the dead woman from last night was dating a powerful man who is frantic to find her. Reminded of Vista, Richie sneaks Sophia back to her apartment, finds the man to tell him his lover is dead, and is summarily beaten unconscious. Richie awakens in a car with the man, who has paid for his sister's lawyer and never wants to see him again. He drops Richie off at the courthouse where the blonde woman is waiting. She tells him his sister is having an affair with her husband. Richie returns to his own apartment and throws himself back into the red water. The phone rings incessantly. It is his sister. She invites him to dinner on Friday, but warns she will kill him if he disappoints Sophia and hangs up. Richie gets out of the tub. In the final draft of the last letter Richie ever meant to write, he tells Vista that he has discovered a part of himself buried for many years that wants to see the sunrise tomorrow. My dramatic reading is accompanied by David Bowie's
0: performance of five years. Yay! I love David Bowie and that song. I'm going to see um, the Brazilian. Musician Seu um, Georgi, who did the Life yeah. Aquatic covers. I'm going to see him I love in November. That
1: soundtrack, that's excellent. The, the so French good. So guy he's
0: with the Well, he's not French. He's actually Brazilian, uh, oh. but close. Hmm. Um, yes, and they sold out in two minutes, and I somehow got tickets, so I was on it. Holy crap!
1: That's awesome. You have to. Yeah. You have to tell me how that goes. I'm very
0: jealous. I yeah. so, Yes, I'm. I'm, I'm also. I'm extremely excited. So, yes, that was my big accomplishment of the morning. So this is totally um, serendipitous. And I'm building and you up for this right now. <laughs> there is a destiny. I believe in destiny. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, well. hopefully you'll still believe in it after I, I attempt to use my terrible New York accent in this dramatic reading. Let's <laughs> yes. see
0: how this goes. All right. Mandatory accents henceforth. Mm-hmm. Up the ante. Okay. Here we go.
1: Dear Vista, you're not going to believe this, but I now feel worse than I did before. I'm not even kidding. Still, my plan remains the same, but I cannot bear to return to the red water. I'm going to try a softer approach, something that won't leave quite as much mess. Normally, as you know, I try to stay away from the pills because of the adverse side effects, especially the paranoid delusions. They're usually the first to surface. I really hope it doesn't happen now, particularly the one delusion where I owe people money. The ringing phone interrupted his scribblings. Richie! Yeah? You got our money? Who is this? You know who this is, and you know the number. It's $800. $800? Yeah, I thought it was 600 Nah, that was yesterday. Today it's 800 Yeah, well, what if I get it to you tomorrow? What's it going to be then? You won't have it tomorrow, Richie. That's the point. You'll never have it. Richie lit a cigarette. I'll have it tomorrow. I'm gonna have it to you tomorrow by dinner time. Dinner time. So five o'clock? Dinner time is seven o'clock. Dinner time is five o'clock where I come from. Yeah? Well, I guess you come from America. I come from New York where it's seven o'clock. You're full of shit, Richie. You ain't gonna have our money by tomorrow. I ain't full of shit. You're so full of shit. You're so full of shit. You know what I'm full of? Richie started to yell. I'm full of 20 sleeping pills, you pile of dumb shit, okay? So I'm gonna be long gone by tomorrow comes around. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's right. I'll be face down in a puddle of my own puke by the time you show up here, okay? So meet me up whenever. Five o'clock, seven o'clock, I don't care. I'm gonna be long gone, you understand? Fucking psycho. $600, $800, why don't we just make it a 1000 Go fuck yourself. Sloppily, he crashed the phone to its cradle. A party was going in the hall outside the apartment. Music started playing. The phone rang again. I'm coming to see you now, Richie. Nah, that doesn't work for me. We'll just see about those sleeping pills. You come tomorrow night, dinner time. You just stay right there. I'm going to be long gone by the time you come around. I'm already in the building. What? I said I'm already in the building, Richie. Bullshit. There's a potty going on up there, right? Yeah, Richie. Party celebrating the longest day of the year. Richie looked at the door. Nah, there ain't no potty going on up here. Oh, yes, there is. They're playing music up there. I can hear it. Yeah? What song are they playing? It's a good song, Richie. David Bowie, I think. Yeah, it is. It's five years by David Bowie. The line went dead. Richie floated to the hallway as if a dream. All around were people in costumes. He lifted a mask from an unconscious boy, a cardboard bow from a cupid, and faced the elevator. It opened. Inside was Vista. She reached for him. In his hand, the phone rang. He was broken. He was hollow. He spoke without inflection. I'm going to shoot you in the face with a bow and arrow. Sophia answered, she hasn't come home.
0: That is the end of my second dramatic reading. That was a good New York accent. I mean, I'm not a New Yorker, but uh, it it, 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 was was Boston. I don't know. I well, it sounded like it could be in the movie Goodfellas, and that maybe you go out with Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for what it's for, <laughs> or like like the Marissa Tomei, um, my cousin Vinny kind of thing. Like yeah. like I would say like New York. Uh, it's I would say Jersey Italian, but closer to New York than to Philly. Oh, okay um you know, just guess um well, those were amazing, and I especially i mean the it was really cool the way all right where to begin uh well, I guess I'll just kind of start off by giving like a brief summary and I think ties them together and then uh comment on some of the things that I thought were were really cool about what you did, uh, and then try to guess which will be hard, so um tied together, I think, and they have a very similar tone and concern or preoccupation, which is um, the interrupted suicide, which has this kind of black humor, macabre effect of someone who on the one hand is totally desperate, but on the other hand, um, is kind of admired in the in these mediocre, banal uh, demands that make any attempt at the grandiose or the romantic suicide or the performative or the call for attention. Um, And uh, there's actually, it reminded me, well, both of them reminded me, and I'll just kind of tell you just while we're talking about the theme uh, that there, this is a thing that, that does happen. I saw a documentary about the Golden Gate Bridge and people who've jumped off of it. And it's very unusual. But one of the guys who survived a suicide attempt, in which he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, recounted how, when he was about to jump, a tourist and he had tears streaming down you know, his, his face and everything, and a tourist interrupted him to ask him to take a picture of them, picture of the to- and then jumped. So I mean, like this, this and that's a very performative kind of suicide. I mean. It, you know, it's, it's so visible and so romantic, and there's the swan dive and the falling and all that kind of thing, and uh, some kind of estrangement. So there, there are things that, that do happen. Um, so in the first one, I think maybe that part is uh, much more this sense of total isolation in the case of Barry. So uh, you have a person whose life is totally mediated by recordings, his work is listening to himself being recorded or berated um, or being, in fact, berated in person but via phone. So there's never really any direct interaction. It's always negative. And then the roommate situation has also become, it seems, quite negative and also is mediated totally by recordings. And then his kind of problematic relationship with food and with sickness and Things that arrive out of arise out of solitude is also um, captured in this interaction. So, so you see a person who's totally, totally isolated, um, and then I, I just really liked how the you what we're doing here, I guess, in the podcast is kind of trying to adapt literature to a a more um, spoken recorded more or less modern medium. And so I really like how you played up the oral aspects of the story. Like, It's a story that would have to be read out loud. Very appropriate for this particular context, which I, I like. And then I had one question about the first one. Uh, and you could comment on anything that I've kind of uh, commented on. But, like, why the musical choice for the first one? Uh,
1: well, my inspiration, I can't tell you. I can't tell you until I, it would give it away if I told you. Okay,
0: because there's links okay. between all the
1: right. two. I can't tell you.
0: Right. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, all right, and then uh, yeah, so the there's this yeah I think there's kind of an elegant moment. This one maybe kind of explains itself a little bit more where like um, he you know living he he realizes himself that he is living a life that no one would choose, and that that's why his roommate who's kind of successfully gone through these self-improvement hurdles is distancing themselves and so there's a certain degree of self awareness and then I think one of the well the the bees and the Alfred Hitchcock bee and the buffalo wings and the burger and all that I thought that was brilliant. And I also really liked the way in which the gun purchase was inserted kind of seamlessly and without any sort of emphasis. Because none of these, none of the stories have much emphasis. You know, like there's no exclamation points or melodrama. That's almost the point, right there. The the mediocrity and the the kind of lack of events of the lives is reflected in like this very even neutral tone, uh, which I think many writers would approve of. I think Borges, whose name also starts with a B. the, like that you know it's like one of the main literary sins is to underscore emphasize you should never really have to do that
1: yeah, um, well, I so
0: so I don't oh i was just
1: going to say it's it based on, what, based on what little i know or i think i understand about suicide it's it's an appropriate tone to set with someone who's in absolute like despair and depression there's no there's no there's little fluctuation at that point in fact I think the statistics are that it's when people are starting to get out of depression a little bit, like when they're first getting back on their medication, for example, that the suicide rate increases briefly because they, they suddenly, they're still just as sad, but now they have more energy so they can put more effort into doing something about their sadness versus when you're in the total depths of it, everything is just flat. So I think that not having an emphasis of, of any one thing really is, the, the tone works with the subject matter in this instance.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it, it's very, um, it's, it's quite comparable in both, which makes this a very hard one also to guess also because, uh, as our listeners are not aware, you have experience working, um, with our hotline. So our invention, and I'm not sure which is which yet. I, is kind of indebted to your own like personal experience from the other side of the telephone, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit, yeah. Right, and then so the, the second one um, doesn't play up as much on the aspect of recording and this weird detachment that you get listening to or, or acting with via recordings. Um, this is a person who has a lot more uh, human interaction. But he's also, Richie, is also a person who is m- admired in uh, a very dangerous of drugs and overdoses and debts to the mafia. This is not a bank who's calling him, <laughs> clearly. This is not alone with J.P. Morgan Chase. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> so we know that his life already has a, a, a much greater sense of of extremes and the also the he's estranged from his family, but he does interact with them, with both his sister and, uh, and his niece. Um, and then I think like one of the, in this, um, there's this structure of letters, so different drafts of different letters. And we assume, especially after the first one, that it might be a suicide letter, but then it isn't that there's more of a letter of of realization that he writes to this uh, this lost girlfriend or this girlfriend or wife that he's broken up with Vista right her name is mm-hmm. okay which is definitely like kind of a a stripper name something like that so there's <laughs> it, 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 um, or it's interesting there's a, a great novel that I I like and recently gifted to a friend um, Inherent Vice by Thomas Pynchon who's one of my preferred authors. Definitely my preferred American author. And uh the main character who's not quite as depressed as Richie, but is kind of in a pseudo-underworld of depression, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, impelled forward by this uh his love for this lost girlfriend named Shasta. So it's a very similar kind of Vista Shasta thing. Made me think of her. I don't have you read Inherent Vice? I was just wondering. Um but I. Uh, it's, the excerpt is really complicated and interesting, and I think this song really worked well because it's, it started to. It had to reality versus perception and warped perception became more and more detached. So he starts out writing. He talks about hallucinations, and most of all, the hallucinations of money to people, which <laughs> is a very realistic thing to hallucinate. Most of us do. <laughs> So he's hallucinating his hallucination, and then we don't know if he's actually having this conversation or if he's having a very vivid hallucination with a relatively convincing New Yorker accent. (laughs) Uh, So... How? What is your sense of? Does it become trippier and trippier? And then he goes to the door, and someone's waiting for him with a bow and arrow aimed at him. No. So he it also he, found, seemed like he was. <laughs> it seemed like the. It was very ambiguous what was going on at that point, and I think that totally worked. But I wanted to see if you perceived it the same way.
1: Right. So my perception of how this scene works is he's taken all of these pills which he doesn't know are menopause medication and not sleeping pills but they still have some kind of but they still have an effect on him. so as soon as he says i hope i don't experience any delusions of people calling me for money he gets a call for money um and because it's he says paranoid delusions and then this guy's like oh well i'm already in the building it's it it lends itself i think to a strong sense that this is purely a a hallucinatory conversation however he he acts on it and there is a party we think going outside um so he's walking out and there's costumes everywhere and he's walking towards the elevator because that's where this person is going to arrive from because he's high up in this new york high-rise building we assume a pretty cheap one and as he's walking, he starts picking things up from different people who are kind of lying unconscious or semi-conscious around him. So he grabs a mask from someone and puts it on his face from a cupid. He grabs a bow and arrow. And then I get this image that he's, he's in front of this elevator and he's drawn his bow and he's just waiting at which point, (laughs) (laughs) at which point it opens. And then he has a vision of his, uh, ex lover who, uh, it's hinted at, but I believe she's actually died of an overdose and his, the suicide notice to her.
0: And he okay, sees her. So it's like. I'm a terrible interrupter. Never learned. <laughs> so he, he
1: sees her and he feels horribly and he's still brought the phone with him. So you imagine he's kind of dragging the phone along this long cord. Cause he doesn't have a cell phone. It's like a hard line. And, and so it rings again, and he answers, and it's his niece Sophia on the on the line. So it's it's a, it's a repeat of a draw from from a world that is spiraling out of control, in which he doesn't want to live anymore, and kind of a pull back from tenuous connections with other people that actually exist in New York accent. Yeah,
0: no, it's. Um... Yeah, especially because there's a couple lines that suggest, like, there there's the moment when she said that she'll kill him if he lets down the niece or something, which that is precisely what he would kind of want. So it's kind of a, a, a bitter irony that someone would threaten death to someone who's trying to, to kill. I mean, the the incompetence of the suicide is much more apparent here. Like, he seems like really hapless richie in a way that our other guy isn't like the other guy i i feel uh is somehow more desperate maybe because of the more extreme solitude and the other issues that he has whereas this guy seems to like keep trying to but then getting interrupted there's a story i know I always these things always remind me of other things but there's a great story by uh, Felisberto Hernandez, who's a, an Uruguayan, a quirky Uruguayan writer, that I think you might like, mm. uh, from the early 20th century. And he has a story about a lady's sh- shoes or a hosiery salesman who, but he gets stuck with this like retail job, basically. And his only way of dealing with it is to try to get fired. And so he keeps trying to do a worse and worse and worse job, but he can't get fired. Almost like an office space kind of situation. But at one point mm. he bursts into tears and everyone feels so sorry for him that they haul by the open <laughs> <laughs> There's just something very comical about their like tragic desperation. <laughs> Well, it's just that yeah. there's no, like, they're, they're, they're extremely passive, sensitive, um, counterintuitive kind of agents. And their passivity, they just kind of like, she and maybe the Feliz and maybe even uh, Barry as well. And their passivity, they just like subject themselves to circumstances. But then the circumstances kind of. Do- to neither get out nor get in, like I, I'm not really, but like they think that it will work. But when they just give up, like nothing happens at all. So I, I just the I guess the the kind of incompetent passivity that that leads that leads nowhere. The 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 hence the kind of the macabre humor, because otherwise they would be like terribly depressing stories. But as it is, they're they're both kind of funny without I think losing. Um, their sense of of a connection to a reality that that we can kind of recognize and and see thematized and like the big lament of the U.S. and this generation, like most independent stories and things that I read are, are about people being lonely. Like that's the it seems to be like the major the major problem that we all face. I guess. Well, I guess I should guess, right? Yes. Oh man. All right, this is really hard. Like I mean they both they both seem uh and you did it you were very tricky this time. They both seem like they could have come like stories that could have come from the same anthology by the same writer. Um stylistically and thematically, I think they're they're quite similar and they both have this absurd touch that that I really like and that uh you would definitely be all right, um, I'm going maybe because the the absurdity is more exaggerated in... Man, well, so the first one seems like you would have written it because it's, like, more appropriate for, for this particular... Like, it could have been... It's very catered towards, I think, this podcast. But... The second one somehow seems to be your style because it has these kind of flamboyant moments that maybe the first doesn't have. I feel like the f- – yeah, this is hard. And the, the New York uh, – yeah, I don't know. The the second one's excerpt was so adapted to your delivery that that also seems appropriate. Man, All right, I might have to slip a coin. <laughs> This is tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. I I'm mean, if you, to... have,
1: if you have, if oh, you have questions, I, I don't know. I can maybe give you like two or three questions. <laughs> um, not, yeah.
0: No, I don't have questions, I don't think. All right, I'm going to... Guess that you wrote the second one okay well i I did write the first one, God damn it, <laughs> but i
1: I kind of cheated here too, because the the second one is based off of a film, not a book. It's on, on Netflix. Netflix, and if you have a
0: Netflix account, oh, it's on Netflix, it's. <laughs> God, may that never be the rule. No, no. Film is totally fair game. One of us was bound to do it. I've been meaning to do that for a while, so that's fine. Yeah, God damn it. No, but um, I I
1: cheated a little, I will say, because in the excerpt, all of the – like, when he's writing the letter, that's the wording he used, and the whole conversation is completely accurate, but a little bit of the things that they would do kind of in between dialogue – I, I, I added, I, I made what creative license and the end, which is all accurate, but you're like watching a movie and then you're translating it into written form. So there's a lot of kind of leeway there. I tried to say accurate, but
0: no, it's, no, that's it's fair. Easier to, you know. That's fair. That's, that's totally, that's totally legitimate. I've taken um, plenty of creative licensees already. That's kind of the point. They're both really creative. Constructs anyway. It, um, I mean, you could summarize the story a million ways, and you could pick any number of excerpts. Especially when you translate them, which I often do. Um, so, well, tell me what the movie was. Well, first of all, before okay. we get into that, we need to establish right here, right now, while you're up by two, um, what are the consequences <laughs> for I don't guessing know. wrong? Maybe one we of guess- us has to show up with a ridiculous hairstyle if we guess wrong. <laughs> Uh, humiliation. <laughs> well, I don't even know what that would mean at this point. You've set the bar, so mm-hmm. Hi, hello. what would be? Um, <laughs> no, well, one of us can have to pay for advertising for our podcast. Ooh, that's uh, not a bad idea. Yeah, so we can actually start to to promote it in, more, in a more aggressive fashion because I think it's excellent, and I think that um, the world will be, you know, Entertained and educated by it. Um, probably mostly the second one, but we'll work on that. Um, but yeah, so maybe uh, we'll say that whoever's uh, the last one of the year, let's say, whoever is in the red has to pay for promotional advertising not to exceed 50 bucks X. a month or something like that. -hmm. Yeah, not to exceed X amount of month for the coming year. So there, all right. So there are consequences now. Are you? Do you agree with that? I agree, but there's no rollover minutes at the end of the year.
1: We'd have to start fresh. fresh.
0: Yes. Yes. So we start Mm new. So we'll make it by the end. So by December 31st, whoever's behind has to pay um, either all of it, or if it ends up being too much, the the majority of it, the most of it, something like that. Mm Okay, fair enough. Uh, well, all right. So, tell me about what is this movie? The movie is called Before I Disappear.
1: Uh, it came out. Let me pull up in my info. It came out in 2014, and it was written, directed, and primarily starred in by Sean Christensen. So he's the he's rich. He's he's a new he's a new guy. It's kind of an indie film. Um, I haven't seen him. In, I haven't seen him in anything else. But he plays Richie, and he also directed the film quite well, I thought, and uh, wrote the script. It had started as a, as a film short of, like, 20 minutes called Curfew, and it won a bunch of awards. And then they went on to make it into a feature-length film. So I highly recommend it. That, that's one of my favorite scenes that I quoted in the movie, but I, it's probably not even the best scene, and there's so many good moments. So, and, the, and the soundtrack is also awesome. That's why I chose the song that I did for the first one. It didn't fit all that great, but I wanted to have both musical pieces from the same soundtrack.
0: Ah, okay. All right. Cause yeah, I was going to ask, like, it did seem, a. I mean, I like the song, but it, it did seem a little out of sync with uh, mm-hmm. the ratings, but it's because you wanted to include it. Okay. Fair. Yes. But before I disappear, Sean Christensen,
1: um, Rotten Tomatoes didn't give it a lot of credit, but who cares what they say? I think it's really good.
0: Okay. Um, Yes. I will. I will check it out. Usually, I find that the best movies are the ones that get between a seven point two and a seven point six on IMDb, because then you get some people who have good taste and a lot of people who don't. Uh, because if it gets a ten, I'm sure it's not good. If it gets a one, it's probably not good either. But if it gets a seven, it's probably actually a really good movie. Mm, I haven't. I haven't I checked, checked on,
1: on that reading. but I should. Yes. yes. Um. But if you and I think you do have Netflix.
0: I, think. I do, and I have so many things to say against it that I'll be glad <laughs> if someone has, gives me a reason to like it. Because speaking of Hitchcock, if you look up Hitchcock, you get Alfred Hitchcock Presents, the TV show, and the romantic comedy Hitch starring Will Smith. So uh, that made me uh, basically lose all respect forever for Netflix. Like, you can't well, get good movies, especially older movies, there at all. Foreign films, very bad. Like, it's just the uh, I find them the limits of late. Well, uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, I saw, that I showed you, was from Netflix. Yes, yeah, so there are exceptions. They have the occasional. Yes, yeah. there are exceptions. However, generally speaking, it is appalling. Yes, well,
1: I, I agree with you, but just because something is bad doesn't mean we don't need to use and abuse it. In fact, all the more reason to use and abuse it. Yes, much like welfare. mm.
0: Just because the system is flawed doesn't mean you should get rid of it. Uh, well, no, it's actually. Kind of yeah. maybe. <laughs> um, so the first one, uh, so you wrote the first one. That's yes. excellent. So I was initially going to, this is what happens that this sort of uh, IO cane. Poison kind of guessing game where I'm like, it, it, she set me up to think that she wrote that one, so she probably wrote the other one. But this is the one that I would have originally thought before I second guessed myself that you had written because of your experience with this. Uh, so I thought you were setting me up, but you were. And I was. In a different <laughs> way. Yeah. Well,
1: yes. A little bit, but just a little bit. Um, also, I, I feel I feel that I've stolen. So Patton Oswalt, the comedian, if you're mm-hmm. familiar, also had a little stint that he did. He's on YouTube. And he did a little thing about how he needs Who to use the... everything. So and he started And he started... Um, pronouncing the word... Any word that began with the letter B, like, bought a bottle of beautiful bracelets. And, and that inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> So that that also inspired me um,
0: a little bit too. The to B. There are certain letters, though, where once you focus on them, especially if you listen to recordings of yourself, they start to sound totally outrageous. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of S's, they get the hissy some. Well, this, if nothing else, I think that for my next set of stories, I need to try an accent. Uh, yeah, well. It, it, is, it does make it fun.
1: I like approaching it. I noticed my tone is always the same in stories. So even if I make an ass out of myself, which, you know, I don't mind. But even if I do, at least it's kind of more fun um,
0: no, no. to play with
1: different things.
0: Yeah, I think it, we have to play up the, the... – the capacities of the medium a little bit more, maybe. Uh, And one of the ways of doing that is to make tone really important. And then very skilled readings that I've heard, for example, Irish writers who are reading a story about a guy from one part of Ireland visiting another part of Ireland and the distinctions in accent – uh, or something, you know, or even like My Fair Lady. Like there there are certain, which is a play, so it makes sense that it would be performed. But there are certain texts where uh, distinction in tone is, is actually fundamental to them. So mm-hmm. uh, I like that a lot. I'm still waiting for our friends, our mutual friend, Mary, to do an, a riveting Irish <laughs> performance. A demands Irish I don't accents. know if she does Irish accents. No one in her family that I've heard has an Irish accent. But I'm sure if she listened to it. She, uh, she'd, she'd have a, a natural aptitude to fake. Wine. I do. So, I do. I think that this is in the blood. I think it's science. science. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're born with it. Um mm-hmm. At least, it would, even if you if you look, she doesn't look Irish. So if you heard her trying to do an Irish accent and then you looked at her, you'd probably be more likely to believe it just because of the visual cues. So mm-hmm. I don't know, ask her; you would know. She's never done a real Irish accent for you.
1: No, no, not even once. No, I definitely need to bring it not up. Not even,
0: her, but yes. But... Mm-hmm. Um, well, yes, I I particularly enjoyed this. Uh, what are, so what what are the so the name of the movie is Before I Disappear, based on the short purview. Mm-hmm. And what were the name for um uh, Barry's bumbling suicide? suicide. Bracelet bubbles of
1: burgers and buffalo. Berry
0: bumbles a beheading or
1: something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I I think that I, I struggled with a name uh, a title for it. Uh, right now, I'm calling it "In Search of a Voice." Though,
0: so. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a, it's the first one. I think that we've done that that seems ideal for the medium. Which again, I thought you were tricking me for. God damn it! This is becoming difficult. All right. Well, I'm done by two. Um. Okay. Well, uh, any further comments or things you would like to say about? I I think this... I also think, actually, if you were to make... All right, so In Search of a Voice, I think, would make a good short film, actually, because... It would be low budget,
1: because there's only, like, one person that you ever see, except for the end.
0: All the good short films are low budget. All the best movies, in almost every case, are are low budget. I mean, compare Clerks to, like, Mallrats, for example. Mm. Like... I don't know. Or, the I don't know, the, the Full Monty, which will cost, like, $7. I don't know. There's lots of great low-budget movies. Yeah. Anything made in Cuba?
1: Well, on that, I will have to take your word, because I haven't seen anything made in Cuba, I don't think, except for that one movie in, with Johnny Depp, and I don't think that was low-budget.
0: So, All right, well, what you're going to see right now, uh, immediately upon ending this podcast, is Juan of the Dead. Oh, no, I have seen that. It is freaking hilarious that's pretty good although that's probably a higher budget it's, that one is a little bit more maybe yeah
1: uh but and, and witching i don't know if that was made in cuba but it
0: is a spanish film wait which one bitching and witching Ooh, i'll check that one out i'm sure that's mm-hmm. not i wonder what the original title is also originally on netflix oh yes no it has moments i'm not saying that it didn't have anything good you do have to look you do have to search though yeah but even like mm-hmm. I I went through and I just picked independent foreign as like my genre which limited it down. And then I found a 2014 silent film, a Spanish silent film. And that totally intrigued me because that's I love silent film and 1920 cinema and I would I, I would like to make like a modern silent film. I think that would be really interesting. It would be. Uh, and it would also be easier to do low budget. Uh but it was kind of like Snow White but set in the teens or twenties and the, the father was a bullfighter and the wicked stepmother like nursed him back to health. And the mom I think I, I started to watch that one too. And I wasn't getting into it. So I turned it off. It's quite bad. It was really mm-hmm. quite bad. I did. I started and I was like, this is bad. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I, hammered down my, my gavel of, of judgment and I, <laughs> and I went to do something else <laughs> and seen. i mm-hmm. um, well, all right. So on that, all right. So in the voice, so coming soon, a silent, animated, short film, uh, that will be our next production. Mm. When we have As more it
1: time. Yes.
0: Um, yes. And you
1: will be coming soon with episode twelve next Thursday or Friday.
0: Yes. So August, we're going to keep to our regular schedule through August, and then when uh, when things get complicated both of us and our. And our constant strivings towards learning and self improvement, and oh, you know, yes. this path of progress ever forward that we are following, <laughs> uh, we will switch to every two weeks. I just say, or the struggle is perpetual, also known, or, as. The, or this this vicious circle of of self improvement and, and decadence, either way. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for the possibly one person that is listening, and I'm sure is related to us. And we appreciate you, whoever you are, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week. Ciao. Bye bye.